0: To be preaching this morning on week two of the God is Good series. Uh, so that's where we're going to be going this morning. If you're just joining us, we've been talking about this series, uh, God is Good. And we've kind of been unpacking the nature of God, I suppose, in a way. Uh, we, said that, uh, we said last week that, that we know God is good, scripture tells us that He's good all the time. But what happens when the situations around me uh, would reveal otherwise? What do I do when it feels like God is not good right now because I'm experiencing something? Uh, you know, what, what, what happens when I can't seem to see it? How is He good then? And, and, and what is He good at? Uh, you know, we, we uh, had this little moment last week in church, and I'm going to give us a moment uh, again this morning. All the uh, seasoned Christians, there, are that, that famous joke, God is good all the time and all the time. God is good there there, there it is all the, all, the, all the new church people are like, "What on earth was that but uh, it 's a little thing that we just used to do when we when we uh, uh, declare and confirm this uh, this truth that God is good in scripture and so've you know we 've been talking about some of these characteristics of of what God is like and, and and who He is, and you know apart from obviously the the fairly big deal of uh, rescuing us from sin, a life of sin and death, and giving us a life of freedom, conveying us into into the relationship with his son Jesus through his resurrection. God is good for many other reasons also. Uh, And Nathan Finocchio, actually one of the guys that I follow, he says that you can never know God exhaustively, but you can know him accurately. We can never ever know God exhaustively. It's not like we'll get to the end of knowing who he is, right? He's from eternity. He's greater than eternity, but we can know him accurately because he has revealed himself to us in his son. Jesus, we know that scripture in John one, for example, says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Christ. That's that's Jesus. Colossians says that God was pleased for all of His fullness to dwell in Jesus. So, so how can we know Him personally, or or, or rather, we can know Him personally and accurately through His Son, Jesus, and and let's discover some of those attributes that we've been talking about. This, This 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 goodness that is greater than what we would ever fully. Understand, and, and, and last week, we talked about how God is good because He is a good leader. That was the week one in the conversation. said, so God is good because He is a good leader. He's a shepherd. And we actually sang about it this morning, didn't we, in this, in this last song. Um, and we said that because He is the shepherd, we are the sheep, and we have a duty of following His leadership. There's many kinds of leaders out there, some of them good, some of them need help. But Jesus is good because he's a good leader and he's our shepherd. And so we have this duty almost, this responsibility of following him. And so today, building on that conversation in week two, I want to talk to you about how God is good because he is a good forgiver. God is a good forgiver. Can we, can we discover the goodness of God in this, in this divine attribute of his forgiveness? And we're going to see in Scripture how that's absolutely true. You know, whenever we talk about this topic of forgiveness, I'm sure that it conjures up quite a few different emotions, doesn't it? Perhaps you think of a situation where you were asked to extend forgiveness to someone. Maybe you were in a situation where you needed it from someone. And perhaps it even made you feel a little bit uncomfortable. You know, it's one of those topics that kind of stir up the sense of, oh, you know, it's it's hard. It's a hard thing to do. In fact, C.S. Lewis once said that forgiveness... Uh, everyone thinks forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive, <laughs> you know? Everyone thinks forgiveness is a wonderful idea until we have to forgive something. It sounds like a great principle, but we know that principles don't change lives, practice does. So when you practice it, that's when you realize how difficult it is. But what are, what, so what are some of the basic components of forgiveness? What are, some of the, what are some of the things that we know about forgiveness? Well, we know firstly that forgiveness, I suppose, is a multi-layered thing. You could say that, especially if you've been in church for a while, you'll know that there's different facets of forgiveness, different layers, if you want to call it that. The first is is obviously the forgiveness that you and I have received from God, right? Layer number one, most important one. We have received this forgiveness for all the wrongdoing that we have done. It's it's, it's the core message that runs throughout the whole of Scripture, that God loved us. He gave His one and only Son that ever believes in Him. There we go. Okay, so we've got some Christians in the building this morning. I like it. Uh, but but that's that, that is that is the first and most important layer, right? This forgiveness that we have received. If it wasn't for God's forgiveness, well, none of us would be here, right? Then the second layer, I suppose, is 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 the forgiveness that we then extend to other people. It's been said that you cannot give that which you haven't received. And so we receive this forgiveness from God and we extend this forgiveness to other people. It's you know, and and I suppose it's often also one of the most difficult things because sometimes we battle with this this thing of of, of us being our own worst enemy. You've heard that saying before. We battle with this self condemnation, this self criticism. Sometimes it can be very very destructive and actually harmful to our growth. And so, not only do we need to receive God's forgiveness for ourselves, but we also have to extend it to others to share that same message with them. Uh, and then I suppose that is the kind of the the the, the third and final step is this um, extending it to to, to other people. Um, in terms of what the word actually means, this is something that we also might know. The word forgiveness in the original Greek means to send away. It means to send away. I really like that picture. It's to send away or to put aside, to put away an offense or a wrongdoing. That's a very, very descriptive image for me. And we're going to get to some scripture just now that kind of um, illustrates it for us. But in terms of the sending away, principle, we also know that the reason why we do that is because it's a command from the Lord. It's an instruction from him. That's also something that I'm sure most of us will know about forgiveness. Uh, Ephesians 4.32 from the CSB translation says this. This is, this, is, this is Paul's letter to the church. This is his code of conduct. I suppose you could call it that. For how Christians should live. He says, and be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another. Just as God also forgave you in Christ. You see the pattern there? As God has forgiven you, so we should forgive other people. Uh, just go back there for a moment, guys. Uh, just back to the verse. Yeah, there we go. Uh, this 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 verse, by the way, it's a. If you ever wanted to picture what society could look like, this is a great this is a great filter. Imagine a society where we were kind and compassionate to one another. <laughs> so imagine for a moment how our world would look just living on one verse in, in 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 scripture. Slightly different to what we see out there, right? But we also know one more thing about what we know. Not there yet, guys. Um, one more thing that we might know about forgiveness is that and this is quite tricky it is possible to receive it and not extend it anyone ever harbored a thought of unforgiveness in their heart towards someone yeah it's true it's it, it is then this is the part i suppose that's quite shocking about this this principle is it's very very easy to receive it and not extend it and live in this thing of unforgiveness um and that is really quite detrimental and 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 i suppose this is my hope in sharing this message with you this morning. My hope is that you won't only firstly develop a healthy understanding of the principle of forgiveness, but that you'd also have the courage to implement it in a new way. That's my hope. My hope is that you will develop a healthy understanding because it looks slightly different to what the world might suggest and then have the confidence, the courage, the strength to implement it. You see, because if we fully understand biblical forgiveness, true forgiveness it will radically change our experience of Christianity. It will. It will radically change the way that we view God and that we view ourselves in relation to other people. And if you're not yet a Christian, if you're not yet a believer, this might actually help clarify some questions that you might have or or, or might have had and and, and wrestled with in terms of your understanding of who God is and, and why He's so good, why He's so worth worshipping, like we've been singing about. So that's, that's kind of where we're going to go. And, and this is the key idea, friends. This is, the, this is the crux of the topic of forgiveness that I want to leave with us this morning. And this is what's going to distinguish it from a, self, a self-help seminar, right? This is not going to be a psychology lesson. This is, this, is, this, is, this, is the, this is the crux. Forgiveness, friends, is more spiritual than we realize because biblical forgiveness is not cheap grace. It's very expensive love. That came at the highest possible price. (laughs) True forgiveness, biblical forgiveness, the kind that God is asking us to receive and release is not cheap grace. It's very, very expensive love. And we're gonna look at some scriptures that are going to help us unpack this idea this morning. The title of my message is Invaluable. And we're gonna discover together from scripture a little bit about what this looks like. So should we go there? Should we have a look at one one of these verses? Psalm 103. Uh, is one of my, I know I say this every week, but it's one of my all-time favorite verses in Scripture. Uh, in fact, um, when I was battling with a bit of a, bit of a back injury some, some years ago, I did this big study on healing Scriptures, and this was the one that I just memorized and read over and over and over again. Um, look, at, look at how forgiveness is linked to praise in this, in, this, in this passage. This is obviously David, he writes in Psalm 103, My soul, bless the Lord, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. My soul, bless the Lord and do not forget all His benefits. Do not forget all His benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagles. Man, that verse is so beautiful. It's so good. It says, my soul, do not forget do not forget all the things that God has done. Notice how it starts. It says, my soul, bless the Lord. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. You know, we've been talking about kids this morning. How many of us know the golden rule that we teach toddlers? Please and thank you, right? Please and thank you to the, to, to the little ones. Don't forget to say please. Don't forget to say thank you. But I wondered about this verse and I thought, you know, some Christians are like that, aren't we? With our heavenly father, we say, please and thank you. Uh, Please, God, won't you just give me this thing that I'm looking for? And thank you so much. Appreciate it. I think we should change that to praise and thank you. (laughs) Because, you know, this is the connection you can see in this verse. Praise was not something academic or transactional for David. It wasn't like I'm going to do right and I'm going to get this thing from God. No, praise was central to being functional for him. Praise is not something optional or transactional. It was something essential to being functional as a believer he's saying God I can't do this without you even even if I don't get through this God even if there's a difficult season right now I will tell my soul bless the Lord and do not forget all his benefits do you see the difference there this is this is removing the feeling from the action from the intended action God my feelings don't show me that I should praise you right now I really don't feel like it but my soul I will bless the Lord I will, I will not forget all of his benefits. I'll remind myself of the good things that you have done. God, you are good irrespective of what I'm seeing right now. And how are you good? Forgives all our iniquities and he heals all of our diseases. You see the importance there? How, how this, this attitude of, of praise should be at the front and center when it comes to this conversation. And, you know, is that not why it's hard sometimes to ask for forgiveness from other people? Our feelings get in the way, don't, don't they? We have this feeling of, you know, if I, if I ask for forgiveness, it's gonna, I'm going to have to admit that I'm wrong. And we don't want to do that because we associate wrong with blame and blame with punishment. It's that cycle that goes, oh, I'm wrong, so I'm going to get blamed. And if I'm blamed, I'm going to get punished. <laughs> and that's, that's unchristlike, isn't it? It's the other way around. He has is, he is freely forgiven us. He is, we just read in this verse that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so instead of having a feelings response, we should have a spirit response. Looking at Jesus, because guess what? He doesn't deal with us as our sins deserve. Look at, look at verse 10 in the same passage. He does not deal with us according to our sins, <laughs> nor repay us according to our iniquities. I love this. This is so good. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. You know which, you know which picture I like to have in mind when, when you read this next one, as far as the east is from the west? Look at that cross. As far as the east is from the west. <laughs> Both directions. So far as He removed our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. I'm convinced, friends, that when we immerse ourselves, in this biblical idea of forgiveness, that's when we will begin to learn to extend that to other people. This kind of true forgiveness—the one that's not waiting for the other person or someone else to mess up so we can blame them and then punish them and then feel good about ourselves. No, it's a completely freeing thing. Can you see that? Can you see that difference there? This is where this is where true true forgiveness comes from. And you know, I suppose. If there was one thing that I could say to, to seasoned Christians right now, if I can just talk to the seasoned Christians for a moment, um, can we please not make it harder for people to experience God's grace than what it already is? I feel like so many times we place these, these obstacles in front of people. Oh, you have to get your life cleaned up before you come to church. You know that? Anyone ever heard that? I mean, we get asked every week. Oh Lord, you know, I've, you don't know what I've done. I, can't, I surely can't come to church. I'm like, oh, no, that's not, that's not what it is. Let's rather take away those obstacles. Let's take away the hindrances so people have have no harder road to to receive the good news of Jesus. Man, Jesus went to the woman at the well. You understand what I'm saying? He went to the woman at the well, and this is this is our call as Christians. We need to, we need to tell people that in Christ you can be forgiven. Don't worry about cleaning your things up before you come there. Just come to church. Just come and receive. Come and receive what God has in store for you. And that's that's because you know. F- Forgiveness, it's not a prerequisite of salvation, but it is a symptom of those who have been truly saved. Forgiveness is not a prerequisite. You don't have to earn God's forgiveness and grace by forgiving other people, but when you are forgiven by God's mercy and grace, that's when he begins to change you. It's not like, Lord, there's, there's nothing I could do in my own strength to produce this right standing with you that I need. That, that came through Christ. Forgiveness isn't a tool that we use to get right with God. Nothing in our own efforts could, could do that. You got right with God through Jesus and forgiven is who you are in God. Forgiveness isn't a tool that I use to get right with God. Forgiven is who I am in God. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says this, if we have no sin or if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. We all need this. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us From all unrighteousness, you know when you are saved, you are forgiven, and then you are forgiving to others. This is the model. This is our where our strength comes from, and it's a it's a link actually uh, for some more uh, heaven points for our seasoned Christians. You can remember the Lord's Prayer, right? How does it go? And forgive us our debts as we forgive us our uh, forgive our debtors. You see the link. And so so I suppose, church, you could say that the degree by which you appropriate your salvation is the degree by which you will be forgiving. The degree by which you appropriate, you make your own, you receive, you internalize your salvation, that's the degree by which you will be forgiving. So if you battle with forgiving people, like I have, like all of us have, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you just how much you've been saved. Ask Him to reveal to you just how much you've been saved and watch what happens. Watch what happens. So here's the thing. This is the this is this is the deal. How is it possible to receive this and not extend it? Why do we why do we battle offering it and asking for it? How is it how is it possible? And how do we sometimes view God's forgiveness as cheap grace, meaning I can do whatever I want and God will just forgive me when it's actually very very expensive love? Well, let's look at two incredible passages of Scripture that give us two two conditions two um, causes, I suppose, of unforgiveness. And then the antidote or the cure, the solution to each of those things. And, and the first condition that keeps us in, in unforgiveness is pride, which we're going to discover from this passage now. And for that, you need resurrection. For that, you need resurrection. You know, some things will, will not go away, no matter how much you talk about them, reason them, try and justify them, try and rationalize them. Pride is one of those things. Pride is one of those things that you have to just say, it is nailed to the cross. It's done. It's done. That's what we spoke about over Easter, right? The old man has gone. The new has come. And of course, humility should be growing in its place. But every now and then, we need to go back to the cross and just say, that old prideful me, it's gone. It has no place. Because it is one of those things that are so destructive to receiving and then extending this kind of forgiveness. Have a look at Matthew 18, church. This is from verse 21 to 35. This is a really, really powerful teaching that Jesus gives. And just as a bit of a context He's just spoken about the, the parable of the lost coin and things like that. He's, he's, he's actually doing this whole um, series, if you want to call it that, on relationships and how important it is for us to bear these biblical principles in mind. And then he talks about this in Matthew 28. Peter approaches Jesus and said, How many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? <laughs> it's like testing him there, yeah, right? As many as seven times. I tell you, not as many as seven. Jesus replied, but 70 times 7. Now, just pause there for a moment, guys. Uh, Jesus is not giving us a maths lesson of the head here. Okay? It's not, okay, 480. Ah, someone's with me this morning. Thank you, sir. 490. He's giving us a heart lesson on grace. You see that? It's not like, okay, well, 489, now I'm free. It's no, it's, this is a heart lesson on grace. The, the implied answer is there is no end right? And so for this reason he explains this. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed 10,000 talents was brought before him. Just as a matter of interest, you know how many 10,000 talents were? Roughly 200 years, sorry, 200,000 years worth of wages. 200,000 years. I mean, you can see that Jesus is making an exaggerated point here, right? This is how much this guy owed. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. It's impossible to pay it back. I mean, how he got into that much debt. Anyway, then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant went out, the same guy that has just been forgiven, and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii which is about a year's wages. He grabbed him, started choking him and said, pay what you owe. Crazy, crazy. His fellow servant fell face down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. The exact same plea that he'd just made with his master, but he wasn't willing. Instead, he threw him into the prison until he could pay back what he owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he had summoned him, his master said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured, oh, that's heavy, until he could pay everything that was owed. So my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgive his brother or sister from your heart. That's a really stern, strong worded passage of scripture. You know what it's saying? It's saying that don't be like the wicked servant that has received so much, but fails to appropriate it and release it to other people. And pride is one of those things that will prevent that from happening. You know, it's not, it's not one of those parables where we should go into every little detail and analyze everything. Jesus is very clearly making the point here. He says, when it comes to relationships, throw away the calculator. Throw away the calculator. This is not a forensic description, okay, you hurt me this much, so I'm going to hurt you this much, and you forgave me this much, I'm going to forgive you just a little bit more, a little bit less. He's saying, throw away the calculator. Live with the freedom of God's forgiveness. He's teaching us a grace lesson in our hearts here, church. And by the way, that whole torment that he's talking about, isn't that what happens when we live in unforgiveness? That's what happens, right? That bitterness, that that anger, that resentment that you that you feel, that's that's the torment that he's, that, that he's talking about. In fact, I read this in an, in an article by, by Ray Stedman in, in, in kind of reading up on this a little bit. He says, it is an accurate description of gnawing resentment and bitterness, the awful gall of hate or envy. It's a terrible feeling. We cannot get away from it. We cannot escape it. We find ourselves powerless to avoid it. We feel strongly the separation from another. And every time we think of them, we feel this acid of resentment and hate eating away at our peace and our calmness. This is the torturing that our Lord says will take place. In the book of Hebrews, we read, Let no bitterness springing up trouble you. Notice where the trouble occurs. It hits you, not the other person. <laughs> I thought that was excellent. That it's like this, this picture of drinking this poison, hoping the other person is going to get sick. And God, I really believe in this season, He's calling us to to. Put aside our pride, let it be nailed to the cross, receive the resurrection life of humility and step forward in God's kind of forgiveness. Can you say amen to that church? You know, it's God's nature to be forgiving, but we have to appropriate it by asking for it. You know, and when you ask for it, it implies that you need it, right? When you ask for it from God, it implies that you need it. And so you can't keep doing what you want and go, oh, God's forgiving. He's just gonna make it right for me. That's that's gonna come back to bite you. And that's what we're talking about now. That's what pride does. Pride will keep you in that cycle, and it's not—it's not—it's not what God what what God intends for us to to do. And then, secondly, the the second condition, I suppose, that that limits our ability to operate in forgiveness is spiritual blindness. Pastor George talked about it recently, and for that we need grace. For that we need grace. You know, one of one of the most um, graphic, I suppose, illustrations or stories in all of Scripture must be from Luke chapter 7. One of the most visual representations, graphic representations of what it means to have received and released God's forgiveness must be in this, in this passage. In fact, the heading is Much Forgiveness, Much Love uh, in Luke 7. And it's about this uh, supposedly sinful woman that comes to Jesus, right? And I want to read this uh, passage for us. Some of you may have heard, it, heard me reference it before, but it really is so, so beautiful. And it challenges a lot of our thinking on this, on this topic of, of spiritual blindness, so this is what it says in verse 36. Then one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Jesus, come over for a bra. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She bought an alabaster jar of perfume. And just FYI, that was also worth a huge amount of money. It was probably perfume that she had reserved for her wedding night. It's like years and years and years of wages. It's extremely, extremely special. Uh, and she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. Just picture the scene. You're sitting around this table with Jesus and this woman comes in with this alabaster job, really expensive uh, perfume and she's standing behind Jesus crying, weeping. She begins to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with this really expensive perfume. So when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She is a sinner. See what kind of self-righteousness does. It's that pride thing again. (laughs) And Jesus replied to him, obviously, I mean, you know, it's going to be good when Jesus is in the house of a Pharisee, right? This is like law and grace fighting right in front of your eyes. You know, there's going to be something good going down. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I've got something to say to you. Go for it. He said, accredited two debtors. Same kind of reference. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. Since neither of them could pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them do you think will love him more? Well, Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. You see where it's going here? Then turning to the woman, he says to Simon, you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she with her tears has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. So graphic. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, oh, her sins, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. (laughs) Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who's this man that he can that, that, that even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. How amazing is that passage of scripture? He says to her, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven, this Pharisee that thought he had done nothing wrong. Yeah, I'm, 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 an, I'm an expert in the Lord Jesus. You know, look how many credentials I've got. Look what I've, uh, you know, racked up in my awards. Very, very little love. <laughs> you see the connection there and i just it always also actually fascinates me why invite jesus into your house if you're actually not interested in him is it like he's just trying to wear him around like a cool accessory oh <laughs> uh, jesus is in my home he's like he's missing a miracle right in front of him and i've often wondered it's maybe is it a bit harsh for me to say that i'll just look down maybe sometimes we have this tendency because of spiritual blindness in our lives that we bring Jesus along with us to look a certain way, but we need His grace to open our eyes to see that we have been so forgiven. (laughs) And so our natural response should be that we love. Friends, this is the question. Have we made the connection? Have we made the connection between the forgiveness that we have received and the love that we have shown? Have we made that connection this morning? And my prayer, my honest hope for all of us, myself included, is that we will grow daily in our ability to, to, to live in that connection, to express that connection, this, Lord, I have received so much forgiveness from you. The least I can do is extend it to someone else. Church, I wanted to end with a final sort of phrase or, or um, principle, um, what is, the, what is the creative aim? What is the, what is the goal of forgiveness? It's reconciliation. That's it. The goal of forgiveness is reconciliation. And, 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 and here's why true forgiveness is not cheap grace, but very, very expensive love. Where is it best seen? 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's in the cross. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. That's part one. Part two, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. (laughs) That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Friends, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. And, and through pride and spiritual blindness, we sometimes miss it. And when we live that way, we aren't actually diminishing God's power. It's not dependent on our ability to see it. We're just reflecting it badly. That's the crux. Just, just remember those two things. Pride needs resurrection. Spiritual blindness needs grace. Because you want to reflect that same power well. And we want to be a church. We want to be a city. We want to be a nation that has this kind of forgiveness at the front and center of who we are as people. Amen. Just imagine for a moment what our nation would look like if people did not harbor transgressions against one another. Imagine. Imagine this principle, this, this godly forgiveness was there. One more verse, uh, friends. I want to I close with this, with, with, with this idea. What does it look like? Is there a practical picture in scripture of what it actually looks like apart from the one that we've just seen? This, this kind of true forgiveness. True forgiveness is one that exudes warmth, doesn't it? It celebrates that you've ended this conflict and that, you've, and that you've brought about this reconciliation. And it's the kind of forgiveness that usually ends in an embrace of some kind. And if you've been around Father's House Church for a while, you'll know that our church's mission largely was based on Luke chapter 15, the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm just going to take two or three verses from here to end with this picture of what this kind of forgiveness looks like. And when this prodigal son arose and came to his father, uh, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet bring the fattened calf and kid it let's eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and he is alive again he was lost and he is found friends it's this power that enables us to see the truth in the cross that says i was once blind but now i see May we be a church, may we be a generation of people that when you wake up tomorrow morning and you go to that workplace, that you extend the same kind of forgiveness to other people. It's not cheap grace. We're not saying do whatever you want. But we are saying this was a really, really expensive price to pay for this freedom that we're standing in. So I hope that encouraged you this morning and gave us something to think about as we look forward to to the rest of our week. Could we stand together this morning, church, and, and pray? There was something there that I, that I said about, you know, when we operate in unforgiveness, we don't diminish God's power. We just reflect it badly. And I maybe just want to take a moment and pray into that specifically this morning. And, and if, you, if you're sitting here today, if you, if you know that there's someone that has maybe come to mind that you need to either ask for forgiveness from or offer it to, I want to just encourage you that it's, it is God's power that's going to make this possible. It's not necessarily in our own strength. It's in His power, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in you. And if you are in a good space this morning, maybe you've heard something today that you can share with someone else. That's what being disciples are all about, right? If our greatest resources are in our relationships, then let's invest into those this week. But Father, as we just close our eyes and bow our heads before you, just as a way of acknowledging your presence and zoning in a little bit, we pray that you would give us the courage, give us the strength to... Live this out. Live this principle out. May we put it into practice, Father. Thank you that you model true forgiveness to us, Lord. And when we when we have taken it for granted, we ask for your forgiveness. And and would you would you would you make that right? Would you would you bring it to our attention that that this cost you dearly our freedom? And Father, we just pray for those moments this this week that lie ahead where we faced with this tension of. Do I forgive or do I not? Or do I ask or do I not? We pray that by your spirit, you will just reveal to us the words that we need to say in those moments. As we thank you that the outcome is reconciliation and that is far better than sitting with unforgiveness in our hearts, Jesus. You've given us clear principles. You've given us clear guidelines to live in freedom. And we pray this morning as a church that we would commit to that, modeling that, not only for our generation, but for future generations, Lord. We want people to grow up with the spirit of forgiveness surrounding them. Because that's where we know, Father, we experience your love. Thank you so much for modelling that to us, Jesus. And we keep our eyes fixed on you this week. Thank you for, for victory in Jesus' name in this area. And we celebrate all that you are going to do in us and through us. And in your wonderful name we pray. And Father's house, JB said, Amen. Thank you, church, so much. Could you give God a shout of praise and worship this morning as we uh, yeah, I'll just reflect on, on His goodness?